Hey everybody, this is Kristen Kraft from Crafted Coaching and you're listening to the No One Leads Alone podcast for trailblazers and education who love learning from other leaders across the country so you can take advantage of their experiences and duplicate their efforts in your school or district. Stop feeling alone and left to figure things out on your own. Let's grow. Today on the show, I am super excited to bring to you Connie Reddick. Connie is a native of Dallas, Texas, graduating from Carter High School in Dallas Independent School District. Upon graduation from Texas A&M University, she returned to her home district to teach middle school science. She now has about 15 years experience in education as a teacher, instructional coach, and high school assistant principal, and now principal. Connie currently serves as the middle school principal in Wichita, Kansas with Wichita Public Schools. She's also working on her doctorate in curriculum and instruction through Kansas State University. Connie believes her greatest strengths as a leader are using her firsthand knowledge growing up in urban schools with experience working in urban and suburban schools to encourage relevant and rigorous learning in classrooms for the greatest and the least. Connie's greatest points of pride are her family. She and her husband, Brandon, have been married for 17 years, and they have three children, BJ, Brianna, and Lily. So with that introduction, welcome, Connie Reddick. I am so excited to have you on the podcast because, well, we go way back. We, you know, I've known you for several years. We yes. have a little bit of history. We I'm glad to history. be here. So yeah, Connie, I was fortunate enough to have you as an assistant principal. And I'm just super excited now that we've gone and done some different things to be able to connect back again. And I think what you're going to talk to us today about is really going to help um, ed leaders. And so I'm, I'm just so excited to have you. So thank you for being on here today and spending a little time with me. Thank you. Thanks for having me here. So tell me about your current context right now. Yes, I am a middle school principal at Curtis Middle School in um, Wichita, Kansas. Um, we have a student population of the mid 800s. Um, I have three assistant principals who work under me. Um, I describe myself as a first year principal, but honestly, we're going to say I am a first month principal. First so. month. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, so that's what I'm doing, um, working with lovely middle schoolers day in and day out um, when I'm not, you know, parenting and mothering and wifing and all the other things. So that's awesome. So you are literally making a transition from an assistant into a principal. And I'm sure there are a lot of people doing that right now because I think we've had some people leave the profession. And, you know, I personally left the profession, you know, last May. Yeah. Um, but what I hope to do is keep people in the profession, you know, by yes. connecting leaders to other leaders. And so you yes. have been an assistant at a high school, a couple different high schools. Yeah. So talk about that transition a little bit and how how you came to be a middle school principal from all of that at a high school. This has been kind of a whirlwind for you in the past several years. It's a little it's a little fast, um, but I guess it all it all works out and it all makes sense. So I was a high school uh, assistant principal even to start this school year in August and kind of um, just kind of during the fall was talking with some of our uh, secondary leaders in district office. And, you know, when we were having the conversation about me potentially maybe thinking about being a principal in the coming year or the coming few years, um, the conversation kind of shifted to an opportunity uh, that led to now. But uh, middle school is actually where I started out in education. I was a middle school science teacher in Texas um, before moving to Kansas. Um, Ten years of my educational experience was as a middle school teacher um, and instructional coach. And so I've been in uh, three or four, I think four middle school buildings at this by this time. Um, and so I have all of my educational experience over the last few years in secondary education, but I was middle school before I was high school. So that's awesome. What'd you teach? I was science. I did seventh grade and I did eighth grade. I, I could never quite uh, understand sixth graders enough to join them in the classroom. But. <laughs> they are just kind of a whole different breed, aren't just they? A, just a little bit. Jump from six to seven. That's great. <laughs> so did you... And I'm going to ask you this because I know the answer to this, but I would like our listeners to hear. Did you go in? Did you always know you wanted to be a teacher? So I was always fascinated by being a teacher. And I since I was second, third grade, it was teacher or doctor. Um, those are just the two things. I love science in general and I love learning. 
And so um, my mom was interested in both of those things when I was growing up. And so I did too, I don't know, because I really marvel at my mom and her ability to be able to uh, be so smart with science, but be a good mom and cook well and all those kind of things. So anyway, definitely was interested um, in both. Um, when I went to college, I was graduating. Um, I did, it did not work out immediately for me to go into medical school. And so I went into education and after a year was like, man, this is cool. I like this. And so I stuck around for a little bit. Um, I, it, I got bit by the bug and stuck around a little bit. Um, did kind of leave to go to medical school for a little bit, but came right back because um, education is definitely more family friendly than being a physician. Um, I think especially maybe in, now in times of a pandemic. <laughs> could be. Uh, could yeah, be. Just like, they could be fairly, um, fairly alike, you know, in the middle true. of the we have our share of, of challenges in a pandemic yeah. as well in education. So yeah, sure. no, I definitely always just loved learning. And so the opportunity to be able to work with a middle schooler and see some ahas and light bulbs, especially when they come in a science classroom a bit reluctant and kind of like, I'm not good at science. I mean, that is, it's like challenge accepted. Let me, yeah. let me make you love this. So yeah. What do you think is the biggest difference between middle school and high school kids? I would have to say that tunnel vision is so clearly different. You know, conversations with high schoolers, um, some of them at least have an idea of what they want to do. Even if it's not interest, like even if I don't know what I want to do for a career, I know that I want a car uh, next week or I know I want to go apply for a job. Uh, yeah, the, the right are, now. Yeah, totally, totally. Middle schoolers are a, a bit more short sighted and still have some of those immaturity quirks that if you are not fit for it, it annoys you. <laughs> but for whatever reason, I get it and I can laugh it off and say yeah. something to them that's like, you're so weird. But you know, yeah, um, but that, they are. The They're just weird. They yeah, are. <laughs> and I love them too. I do. You need they they need someone to love them. And so I I, I enjoy them. Yes. That's awesome. I love it. Yeah. So did you were you always in Kansas or have you been other places? So, yes. Yeah, so I um, I was born and raised in Dallas, graduated from Dallas Independent School District. So when I went to college and went into the classroom, first year teacher, I was back in my home district, Dallas ISD for five years. Um, and really, truly some of the best pieces of my formative education of becoming a, a really good, effective teacher was, was at my, my home school in Dallas. And so um, I worked in another uh, middle school, kind of in suburbia in, in Texas before we moved here. So I think that's a, a really fun thing is that not only have I had the middle school, high school experience, but I also have done middle school in urban and suburban. And then I oh, also yeah. in high school in urban and suburban. And there are just different things that everybody can kind of just marry together to do education effectively. And I think I've been really fortunate to be able to get, uh, you know, both sides, you know, a little lens. I've never done, you know, parochial or, or whatever, but I, you know, urban and suburban um, tend to do things a little different here and there. So that's been good for me as a leader to kind of bridge some things together. I completely agree with that. I think there's definite, there's, there's so much that's the same yet. There's so much that's different, but yeah. I think there's so much that can be learned from both it being yeah. in suburban and, and, uh, and urban districts. So, yeah. so one of the questions I really like to start off with, um, on this podcast is just, what do you think is, is kind of the most controversial topic right now in education? I mean, there's a lot, but what would you there say, you know, Connie Reddick, what do you think is really controversial right now that, you know, we tend to talk about? Yeah, I think one thing for me, um, because I really try to keep a pulse on, I consider some of our greatest ed leaders teachers and those that, you know, not, aren't necessarily having to lead a building and, you know, my position, yeah. or, you know, the position you've been as a principal and many of them right now currently are, are still talking about the pandemic, but in a sense, like what now? Because we experienced the world of remote and hybrid learning where you've got some kids that are learning online while others are uh, you know, present face-to-face. -face. And our state currently hasn't mentioned anything about remote learning. Um, and so really our teachers knowing that that exists, but it not being utilized right now is kind of like, well, what are we doing? Because we do have some of our cases that are rising um, and students going on quarantine. And you can really see teachers concerned that, oh, if they don't get to this at home, if they don't you know, have the opportunity to, to live interact with me, well, what happens with them with that material? So I think we're still in the pandemic conversation, but now it's kind of the other side of, we know that we're not remote. We want to keep kids in our buildings uh, learning, but what does that look like to the student that we know is home, you know? Yeah, and I think that's really interesting that you, you say that, because I do think we're in this what now, because I think across the country, 
you know, depending, and even just across the state, depending on where you're at, some people have never worn masks from the get-go. Some people have been in school full-time from the get-go. I know you're currently in a district that um, was out of school for a long time, being in suburban, and then, you know, have come back but have been masked. Um, Then there's an urban, there's urban districts that maybe aren't masked, but um, they're back full time. And they're like you said, our state really is not talking at all about any type of a shutdown. But, you know, we're also not living in a New York City or, you know, a Miami-Dade County, things like that. So I do think it's fascinating because we've said, you know, we're going to provide this hybrid model for you during the pandemic. Yet we've also now been saying, OK, they're not kids aren't using it or you know, so we're just, you're just either here or you're not. So we're kind of back to this, but we know that there were some kids that flourished on it. And so how how do we bridge that? Because I know I had one kid um, in particular that, you know, never showed back up for school, but was actually doing quite fine at home. And mentally it was good for them to not be at school. The mental health component was so strong, but they were learning from home. So what are your, I mean, this is a great topic, I think. And what are your thoughts about, you know, what do we need to do and how does this look? I think more than anything, um, why this is so controversial is because we're asking the what now question or what do we, what we're still in the middle of actively fighting a a pandemic. Um, And so my biggest lens as a leader right now is to make sure that I am still over communicating just as I did a year and a half ago when we first shut down, you know, spring right. break of 2020 um, and yeah. teachers had a million questions of what, what, what. Um, we cannot back off in our communication just because I see teachers in our building every day. Um, right. You know, we're still over communicating, still offering suggestions of of learning tools and best practices. Um, and that's really what my approach is. Uh, you know, I had a teacher ask me yesterday because the student went on quarantine and a parent requested work. Well, since the parent has requested work, I'm going to give the student the work. If they don't complete it, do I count it off? And I said, well, if that student's in quarantine, they could actively be fighting the virus and not feel well enough to do the work. So yes, right. hold them accountable for it, but we still have a district makeup policy that when they return, right. they've got, you know, however many days of apps, you know, to make up, you know, from their days of absences. So you really, as a leader, need to have a, a keen sense of policy and procedure still have a, your finger on the pulse of yes. what your your edge your your peers need, and still kind of you know other practices that you know was working in crisis continue to do that um, because there still are so many questions and we do have people still living um, really ready to look towards the future stuck right now in the middle of dealing with you know home homemaker that's or, or you know caretaking for someone that's at home and, and yes. other pieces so we have yeah. to keep that lens. So we were talking the other day. Um, in a, uh, a mastermind group of leaders that, uh, that I'm involved in. And we really were discussing how right now, you know, I think as leaders, we're not doing a lot of things that we're normally love to do because we're really stuck in a lot of procedures, you know, um, whether it be contact tracing or just all these things that are coming as a result from this pandemic and, you know, the numbers going up and, and things like that. So how are you being intentional, do you think, about not getting bogged down in that procedural work? Because I think that's that's a hard balance. And so how yeah. do you maybe do that? Maybe you don't do it. I mean, maybe you're, because you're, like you said, you're a first month principal. Maybe you're just still trying to figure these things out. So um, what are your thoughts yeah. around that conversation? I think probably one of the best things for me as an administrator was I had my first year as an assistant principal. Then my second year as an assistant principal, I had cancer. Then my third year as an assistant principal, I entered COVID. Um, And so then fourth year as an assistant principal, you still got COVID in a pandemic and then you become a principal. And so I think really what has worked well for me, even though it sounds like really chaotic to anyone that listens to my story, um, it made me so accountable to you know, documenting and scheduling opportunities to do, you know, things that you know is important. And so even though, yes, procedures can totally grab you, I think you still need to be intentional uh, with appreciating people. Um, So I was, you know, talking with my husband just the other day about, you know what, I really think I need to take advantage of, you know, like a sonic 
a happy hour and and just get staff. I know it's almost 200 staff here, but yeah, I wanted them to give me some drink orders and just give them that to say, hey, we had such a great week where we returned, you know, from the holiday break last week. Here's yeah. how I appreciate you. And I think still, you know, scheduling out those things, um, which is a practice I really crafted well because of the demands of a pandemic and trying to work um, as an administrator with cancer um, that really helped me to, to really effectively have some time management. Um, you know, still putting in my calendar, stopping by rooms um, because, you know, a year and a half ago when my current district was remote, you couldn't necessarily see your principal because you weren't in the building. But now that we're in the building, yes, I want you to see me and lock eyes with me, um, know that yeah. I'm here, knowing that I'm here to support you. So I think those are intentional things we still have to do. We know that there are at our core practices and procedures that work, that make people feel appreciated and heard, you know, in surveys. And so none of that stuff died with with our current situation. And we should still right. do that. Right. That's awesome. So go back to your, I love your, you're in what year of administration? This is year four. four. It yes. feels like you've been at it for 20 because I just want the listeners to hear because talk about adaptability, flexibility, leadership. Wow. You have had a really not normal start, which I think a lot of people haven't right now. If you've started in the pandemic or whatever, but your first year as an assistant principal was was fair, like the last normal year you had. I mean, that was your start, right? Sort of, but I had moved from middle school to high school. So that already was its own learning curve. So you had a learning curve. Okay, so let's talk about just each year, because I think this is kind of fascinating and good for people to hear. So you started on first year as an assistant principal at a high school. Yes. And so what was that transition like for you? So that first year was really wanting to learn the new system of how things work because I had never seen the finish line of education. You know, when you've been a decade in middle school, you kind of promote the eighth graders, but you don't know graduation. You don't know the struggle of that kid that's doing fine freshman, sophomore year. Then they kind of lose motivation and how to get them back and keep their family engaged. You know, um, partnerships with colleges and universities and, and thinking about pathways like the whole other world and beast of getting this human that really truly is an adult and almost becoming like self-operating and really autonomous. Um, that's really what I had to get down on my first year. Always am able to build relationships with kids because I genuinely do enjoy them. And so the relationship piece was fine, um, but it really was the practices of, okay, yes, transcript. Okay, yes, let's talk about, oh yes, we're going to bring it. Just all those okay. things that yeah, at a middle school level, you're still heavy, heavy, heavy parent contact, you know, or um, and and really with high school, you're kind of, you know, create some accountability with a student, still contact parents, um, yeah. but you're reaching out to outside agencies. And so that was a lot of my first year was what's the new system? Because I've never yeah. seen this before, you school know, dances, you know, things that yeah. um, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> the things we spend so much time on and, you know, yes. yeah, the uh, going to games and the supervision that's required. Oh. The supervision. Great, great, great. I mean, we have some opportunities for high schoolers, but yes, a lot more late nights than I, you know, would have witnessed yeah. as, you know, during my intern time of learning to be an administrator at the middle school level. So yes, yeah. all the things, all the things. Well, all of the things. <laughs> and so you you were and I, I think it's funny that you know you talked about the high school as being kind of that end game and they're kind of becoming their adults, but you always, and this is because I know you you always referred to kids as your babies, right? I do. They are. I mean, you yeah, and they to are. And that's like I, I love that you always said that because really high school kids, they're just babies with big bodies. I mean, they're still not adults they yet, right? Are. They still want attention. Those kids yep. would still melt and light up when I was at their event and asking them about their job and, you know, they still wanted someone to listen to them. There was nothing exactly. different from that. Yep. Yeah. Just babies and big bodies. So That's you, it. you're That's you're it. in your first year. Um, and what happened then in your second year? This was starting <laughs> to kind of happen your first year. So it was because I was I was I was feeling sick my first year, and I and you know this you were my principal. I was missing work. I used up all my sick days, and I had yeah. never. 
taking off work. Uh, in years before, I would only take off work for my birthday. Like, I just don't work on my birthday. That's a whole other thing of self-care. Um, but I missed you can't, you so can't much to me. You're like, I promise you, I don't take this many I was, days. I don't. Like, I was like, I just don't feel good. And it just really was feeling sick. And so finally, when you're doing kind of the annual appointments uh, this summer of my, you know, leading into my second year, I have my annual checkup as you do. And there's this elevation in my neck that's kind of like my physician's like, Ooh, let's look into that. And long story short, we follow this path to where I have a tumor in my chest. It's lymphoma. And I come to my current principal, you know, you at the time and say, I, I have cancer. Um, so then you start having the conversation in June, July, like, what does this look like? So you're talking with this, you know, district office about you take disability. No, no, no. I want to work, you know, like all the conversations of, I really want to have a second year because I feel like I was starting to get in a groove my first year. <laughs> Finally getting that high school thing going. Finally, but I'm kind of sick, you know, so. You're kind of, yeah. <laughs> just kind of yeah. cancer, right? Yeah, yeah. So that was an, just another adjustment of, you know, from the leadership piece, dealing with this life altering, earth shattering news. And I, I had chemo for an entire week two weeks off, another week of chemo. And I mean, five days of heavy drugs, two weeks off, um, but still wanting to come to work every day, wanting to not, you know, leave my team completely in a bind. Um, you know, but I would come some days and about noon or one, I'm just exhausted. So, hey, I got to leave. Um, but I tried every single day, you know, to come. Um, I wasn't as, at, you know, at as many events in the evening just because you're yeah. exhausted and, I'm, right. you know, my immunity is so low, I can't be around those many people. Um, and so it really was the systems and things that I know I can do and I can work digitally and efficiently to get these processes done. That was kind of like the beginning of learning to do some work remotely, if that makes sense, which is crazy. You really, I mean, you really were, you were cool about remote working before it was really cool. I'm telling you, I was wearing a mask before it was in. Before you know? it was in, you were. That was the fall of 2019. And what do you think your biggest takeaways is from that time? Because not only, I mean, we weren't in the pandemic yet, but you were already mm. experiencing some of that pandemic yeah. world. And so what is your biggest takeaway from that time when you were a second year assistant principal, you're yeah. fighting cancer, um, you're at home, you're doing chemo, you know, so you like a week on or two weeks on a week off, because it would it would definitely knock you down for a good week or so. Yeah, I probably had two major takeaways. Um, and the first one was the importance of your own personal life and people, um, because my family really rallied, you know, um, and I'm glad that I was able to maintain those kind of relationships so that when I was sick, my mom and dad and my grandmother and my sisters and brothers would come up from Texas and, and my twin from California to kind of help with that week of chemo, you know, um, and my, my, you know, son's godmother, like we had so many people rushing, you know, our, our school with the meals and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So really the, that, so that's that first takeaway, the importance of self-care and keeping up with friends and family. Yeah. Um, so that when you are in need, it's not like, well, I haven't talked to you in a while, but can you help me out? No, you need to, you need to maintain those regular relationships. That can be yeah. tough as a building leader. Um, but the second thing was that it is important for our students to see us go through some kind of struggles and vulnerability. Um, but also I got so many notes and cards from students and staff members that really appreciated being able to see me in the vulnerability of that fight um, and come on the other side and kind of just model, like it was just perseverance on display. And at the Absolutely. time I wasn't, I wasn't really concerned with showing people that I was person. Yeah. You're not like, Hey, I hope you can see my, yeah, I hope you, you were yeah, just, no, you were just, like, we're just doing it. Absolutely. Yeah. But you do, it does remind you that people are watching and as a leader, you want to be able to model kind of some things that are admirable. And not that I ever set out to say, I want to be admired, but it is the thing to where you have some integrity, have some character, um, tell people when you don't feel good um, and not that you're complaining, but just to be honest and open um, and you model that for folks because then they... Um, it's return, like vulnerability breeds it and it's returns to you, you know? Absolutely. No, I, I think that's, I think that's great. And, and you were able to still do some great things even yeah. from, you know, not being in the building. And so, um, I, I think it was actually a good time for you to really work on a lot. You're very good. I think at efficiencies. And I think mm -hmm. that's something that ed leaders, you know, if you can find 
talk a little bit about how you your belief in that efficiencies and you know you automated a lot of things and so yeah. what are some things that ed leaders could take away from you from this standpoint of efficient because i think that is a hashtag for you if i was going to describe you <laughs> I, oh i love that you said that uh one of the things and i'll answer your question but one of the things that i told our staff when i first came here uh, just a little bit about me one of my core values is efficiency and i told them that um how to and i just called it how to connie effectively and one of it was that she is i value efficiency um and only the, to answer your larger question is because of the number of hats that i wear and the plates that i'm juggling um, as an ed leader, I wanted to be able to still, I value dinner at the table with my family. I really do. And I know it's insane yes. to, to leave and go home and cook. Um, since this new job, I told my husband, hey, something we got to take off the plate. Mom can't cook every night. And everybody has been sadly like, okay, yeah, we understand. Um, but in general, I still, you know, was value, value home time meals and such. And so the efficiency piece of staying connected online in a Twitter so that you can see the new apps and tools to where I can send an email, even if I'm doing it at eight or nine, when it's like quiet reading time, when my husband's reading and I can like send an email, but it not go out to show someone that I'm working at eight, nine, because I don't want anyone to think that they need to respond at eight or 9 PM, you know? So those, right. like those tools of scheduling an email, uh, you know, or um, having a Google Doc where it's shared um, so that if I'm thinking of some notes that I want to bring up at a, at a staff meeting, you kind of just continue to jot down ideas so that the agenda is kind of made as you think of things. Um, right. You can pretty it up later, but it's already kind of ready to go. Um, I think, uh, you know, I do a lot of text to talk, um, um, a lot of, you know, I, I carry a, a pad with me as I walk around the hallway. That way, when a teacher asks me a question, I can write it down. But I also always end with, can you send me an email to write, remind me so that the onus is on them and I'm not trying to remember a hundred things from everybody around me, but they follow up, you know? And so little pieces like that, little habits, um, someone had mentioned uh, for me a really great tool, um, you know, before that was scheduling and I don't currently use it in my in my context, but it was like Toodledo. As an assistant principal, I loved Toodledo. I said, okay, I'll try it. And it was great for sending you email reminders. So just those things, staying current with, you know, trends and having friends that can suggest things so that I can work when I have time to, but not be a workaholic all the time and really get more accomplished in a day because you you know this very well, there's always so much to do. There's always so much to do, you bet. So you talked about Twitter and staying current. What would you say, yeah. I mean, were you, were you involved in Twitter prior to, you know, becoming a principal? Like, what have you learned from it? And would you tell a new principal to be involved in that or an educational leader? I mean, what, what have you gained from that? I was in no way connected in Twitter until I met the Kristen Kraft. There was no, I made a Twitter account after interviewing with you and you talked about the opportunity to connect. And I'm like, okay, this is a value of her. Let me just kind of dabble with this thing before that. No, social media. No, 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 no. So I want the, I want the universe to hear my introduction to Twitter was through Kristen Kraft in what, 2018. Um, but anyway, from that, I just was like, let me just get on. I wasn't active initially, just kind of let me just see what people are posting. And they'd say this book or this, you know, quick hack. And I'm like, ooh, let me, that's fascinating. Yes. Do I want to, you know, that's where I learned about Autocrat through Google. And my other district yeah. wasn't Google. Too. Autocrat was like a lifesaver oh for us. It yeah. is like the mail merge uh, genie Google. wand of all time. You have yes. to use it. Uh, absolutely. Um, and so I would absolutely encourage ed leaders if you are reluctant to get into social media because you think that it can be addictive or those kind of things i think that there are different levels of how engaged you are and i was absolutely a consumer up front you know um and then i went into a little phase where i was a very i felt like trying to be an active contributor and seeing things around our school and like sharing good news because you want people to know what's happening in your school um right now i'm a little less active I still go on and read and get information. But again, I am a, I'm a first month principal. I just am not contributing as much. But I think that that's the beauty of social media. You can live in all those different phases and get what you need yeah. out of it and still grow. So absolutely. Yeah, no, I think I think the value is not necessarily the social media or the Twitter. It's the connection. And I think now more than ever, we need connection. And absolutely. so that's just one way I know I've connected with leaders, you know, across the country that I learn from every single day. Yes. And that's how you grow. Absolutely. And that's Some how of you my get favorite better. Authors. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, um, so 
then you hit the pandemic, right? So in year two, you hit the pandemic. It's crazy. You get this news of being in remission um, fall of 2019, still second year. And then in spring, we are like, I'm like, I'm killing it. I don't care that I'm bald, but I am not on chemo anymore. I'm in remission. It's like, yes, we have killed cancer. I am ready to murder this second year <laughs> administration thing. And then March 2020 comes and we're not in our buildings anymore. It's like, what? right, you know, just what just happened. Um, but again, I had still kind of gotten really good at remote learning because the, the fall semester, you know, I was up, you know, from steroids with chemo. I was starting an email at two or three in the morning because I couldn't sleep when I'm sleeping at one or two in the day because I'm exhausted. And so I learned remote emailing how to, how to, you know, email parents the attendance things rather than um, having to necessarily talk to them. I had already made a Google Voice account so that I could talk to them from my personal phone um, rather than giving them my, you know, own phone number. And so, you right. know, the pandemic piece, I was able to maintain some of those conversations and, and practices because I'd kind of been doing a little bit of it, you know, with cancer. So that kind of rounds out my year too, which, I mean, can you imagine how much I grew, you know, as a first year administrator, that second year still administrating cancer and, and COVID. So it was, yeah. it was wonderful for growth, I'd say. Definitely good for yeah. growth. So we, you know, we had a really interesting experience within our second year too in the pandemic because we were building a brand new facility <laughs> behind. And so we tore down wow. the school while we were in it. Yeah. So actually the pandemic allowed us to tear down the school earlier. So not only are we right. March to May teaching in a pandemic, we are creating an, a, a new wow. facility that our you know patrons had paid for um, and, and trying to get that up and running. So you hit year three and wow. now we have all new. Now, and they say, you know, you're not coming back. So we're on a hybrid, totally. right? Totally. And I have even forgotten. You are so smart. I'm like, yes, construction was in there too. Cancer, COVID, construction. Like, how did I forget? But yes, right. you're totally right. So we have this whole different dynamic in year three for you as, you know, you're still an assistant principal. Yeah. You love processes yeah. and so efficiencies. And I do. I do. So let's think about lunch. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yeah. And, you know, this let's is think where about lunch and crisis. All of that came, I think, to fruition for you. And um, that was also, I think, a big shift that um, I think a lot of assistant principals, you know, have to consider and especially and even just, you know, ed leaders in general. But, you know, we were fortunate enough to be in a district where they gave us a lot of time for professional development. And that's where I just said to you, like, this is your time to take some things on, you know. And so talk about your learning curve in year three with all of that's going on and you know what were some takeaways from there that other principals could benefit from hearing from you i love that i love that um i genuinely believe that the principal is the instructional leader of the building i do think that principals should be at the forefront of professional learning um representing themselves as an authority on a lifelong learner and so it was wonderful to have the opportunity from my previous district that we uh, delayed the return of students so that staff could really get ready for that kind of hybrid you know remote learning piece and we had you know three weeks until almost you know labor day to be able to yeah. dive deep into professional learning um, you giving me the opportunity to kind of leave that knowing, you know, that I had an, a, a coaching background was phenomenal. Um, and so that was able to kind of help me sharpen that kind of professional learning piece, remembering again how you need to, you know, being a classroom teacher in middle schoolers is one thing, principaling with high schoolers is another thing. But yeah. really thinking about adult learners and all of their needs and really differentiating instruction for the early adopters all the way over to the late adopters is you have to be strategic as an educational leader to know where your um, teachers and peers are in that curve so that you can meet them where they are with their needs. Um, and this was and a so, huge, yeah. I think, moment in education where, yeah. where all the things that maybe many educators had said, I just don't have time to learn that. You did not yeah. have the time. So like Google Classroom, um, or whatever yeah, learning yeah. management system you were on. This was such a shift for so many teachers yeah. who had said, I don't want to bring technology into my teaching world. And so I think yes. this was a really, I mean, this was a really powerful moment for you 
Um, you're good. You're so right. You're so right. Um, especially because I had, and I had been in the Twitter world. So I'd already had peers talking about the Google pieces and the stuff. And, and we had some really, you know, your earlier doctor teachers that you're talking to about this tech tool and this thing. Um, and I was able to kind of practice with them kind of in the March, the April, the May of the 2020 pandemic. So that one is time to get everyone else on board, August, 2020. Um, yes, we had already had some tried and true things. And I really wanted to um, have knowledge and authority on what I was suggesting and recommending for teachers. And I am totally willing to fail in front of them um, and, and show the how easy it is to do it. If you really can wake up and just do it or no, you want to take the time and get this uploaded in that. And I, and I wanted to be able to prepare teachers for what that looks like. But I only had that knowledge because I had connected with some great educational leaders up front um, and been able to work with some teachers, you know, had a good sense of which teachers would be willing to uh, lead the way and, and who needed a bit more assistance to walk alongside them. Um, and so that was, you're totally right, the opportunity to be able to offer this whole buffet menu to uh, our, our educators about how they could make hybrid learning um, work. And then at the same time, thinking about um, us being in construction in a brand new building and then having right. moved in, not knowing anything about how the systems work, but really <laughs> having to say, we have, have systems, but yet we don't have systems in a system with a system. Because I don't know, I don't know anything about this building, but I think that we need to feed them lunch like this, and we don't want them sitting across from each other in a pandemic. Uh, this space looks large enough to hold a hundred and something kids for lunch. Hey, yeah, let's move this group away from the cafeteria, uh, you know, to to minimize the contact tracing. Uh, so, <laughs> you, it's. it's <laughs> It's fascinating. was a crazy semester. It was. It was. But again, it helps you think about the systems part because now I'm in a in another school. Where you don't know any kind of building. No, procedures. don't know yeah. procedures. And they were remote the majority of last year. So I was able to say, hey, I've seen the hybrid way work, you know, um, last year. So as we think of this system, we can do this, we can do that because we're still wearing masks right now. You know, and it it's so I have been so blessed to learn and grow from the right people at the right time to get exactly what I need to carry it forward um, to the next group. Um, it just I, I really, really, really am so richly blessed to, to get those experiences to be able to carry forward. So that's so that's so great. Yeah. And and I think, you know, we I think our teachers knocked it out of the park that semester oh, yeah. too. Oh, yeah. Um, just with all the things that they I mean, you know, when I would talk to other districts, I'm like, we are so far ahead of what other people provided for their students because right. our teachers really did look at well, what's best for our department or what's best for, for my classroom. And I feel like they provided some great education, even they though did. we were hybrid. And I'm, I'm so proud of them and so proud of the work that was done there. Um, so yeah, that was just fan, a fantastic time, even though it was such a difficult time. It was, it was so hard on the teachers, but it, yet at the same time, I feel like our students did not suffer. Um, in a lot of ways academically. Now, I know there was the mental health component and things like that, but so let's move into your um, second semester of your third year. And, you know, um, something that I think I would like to talk about with you, and you can you can obviously give your input on this, because again, I like to really, I want our, you know, people who are listening to get some little nuggets of of information that were helpful. But one of the things that you were responsible for was say a master schedule. And how is that like what I, I've, I've been a firm believer and I think this is not done in a lot of in a lot of schools, but I'm a firm believer that the principal, um, the administrative team should be overseeing the master schedule. And I just, I just think that is something that should be off of a counselor's plate. And especially when we're in a world of mental health right now and counselors really, you know, um, they have enough on their plate to have to worry about the the complete master schedule because especially if you're in a large more you know suburban or urban school it's really the the nuts and bolts of any school so talk to me a little about about your learning of the master schedule because i know that's how i was brought into administration 20 years ago wow you need to know how to do this and i've taken that with me everywhere i've been since what was your learning around that and how has that impacted you as a, a building leader 
Yeah, one of the one of my favorite uh, forever principles, I call him is Principal Caffelli that I follow on Twitter. And in one of his books, he uses the phrase, the master schedule is the lifeblood of the school. Yeah. Um, I mean, it really is the foundation of, of learning. And so um, during our work in building the master schedule, you know, you think about all the offerings you have for students. And so really creatively having to marry who you have in your building and opportunities for FTEs, but also these courses that you want students to be able to take, the strength of, of who does this. Um, we had a master schedule that and in the high school world, they are the authority on content. Um, we kind of were doing some shifting where we really wanted to create a master schedule that the students have really selected their courses. Um, and so we had to kind of bridge really having a student-driven master schedule that still gave teachers some input in, I would prefer to teach these courses because this is my strength versus the other. Right. Um, and then having knowledge of your community partnerships, you know, at the high school level to where we can build it on our master schedule, but it's not necessarily a course we need to offer on our campus. Yeah, our students can go to this community college, you know, five or 10 minutes away for that piece of the schedule. Um, so putting those pieces together um, is such a fun thing because you really... Uh, you need to I, I believe that you take time with each department, each group um, to talk through, you know, their desires and their strengths. Um, you talk about what well, these are what students have requested. Sometimes students are going to say, oh, they say that they want biology, but they're going to drop, you know, a ton of those numbers are going to drop. Um, and you want to, you know, lean on their knowledge with that, because, of course, this was just my third year in the building. But there are some other stuff where you can have some staff reluctant to provide a new course, you know, but that is now in our in our. Um, you know, course catalog and you want to be faithful to what you've told your stakeholders you'll offer. Um, and so you kind of do some negotiating with, yeah, we can drop one of these sections and pick this up, but you have to have an overall school sense of the resources available to you, what your students need, what your parents want, um, what, you know, what we need to report to the state and kind of be able to bridge all of those areas. So I agree with you. Principals are more able to maybe effectively do that than counselors, but you're still working with everyone to get it done. And you, yeah, I mean, the counselors still have a big role in it. Totally. Totally. It's, this is just, it's the, 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 the piece of, um, I think the framework as far as you, the principals are the ones that know the FTE, yeah. what yes. you're getting, yes. what the goals are. State think, expectations, district yeah. leadership expectations, yes. And I think oftentimes, you know, when, say, counselors do it, I think it's harder for them to say no to peers or to to have to be the bad guy, so to speak, you know, because sometimes we have to make difficult choices around, you know, maybe we need to make a change or a shift with a teacher or whatever. And that's really, I don't think that should be the responsibility of a counselor. I think they should be... Um, able to keep really positive relationships and not that we don't want positive relationships too, obviously. Yes. But sometimes we have to be that That's person. It. You have to say no. You have to have a no eventually. There has to be a yes eventually. Someone is the decision maker. Uh, and I am, I know you are a collaborative leader. You never, I never saw you make a decision in isolation. And I, I try to be the same, but there does have, there is someone at the end where the buck stops there. And so you, I think you do want that to be the principal because then they can tell the why. And so where, even if people are, are upset with the decision, they at least understand the why and it, it'll minimize the, the fallout yeah. or the complaints or whatever else could follow. Yeah. And I know Dr. Watson, even our, you know, he had commissioner, spoken, yeah. commissioner of education in Kansas, he had spoken, he said, counselors, if you're still doing the master schedule, stop it. Wow. I mean, we, we've wow. got to get them away from it yeah. Um, because it is taking up too much of their time and it's the yeah. bill, not, not, you know, and then you load the students, but everything else then they take care of. Yeah. It's just that, that's an initial building of it that I think we have to get off their plate. Talk about, yeah. you know, getting something off a plate. There's one thing yeah. you can get off a plate. So, yeah. so then you um, move to um, your fourth year and you decide to make a transition. Yeah. And you go back to a urban school district yes. at a high school. So talk about your first semester and how you've ended up at a middle school head principalship mid-year. <laughs> and what, you, what are some learning and takeaways you could share with other ed leaders? I haven't even talked about the name of my high school, but I have to do a plug that I went to in Wichita, a Wichita Southeast High School 
yes. fantastic place to be. Oh my word, just wonderful, wonderful place to be. Um, returning to an urban district for me is kind of like home. I grew up in Dallas, not a suburb of Dallas, but Dallas proper. I graduated from a Dallas independent school district high school. You know, I went started teaching there. And so really in Wichita, it's like home to work in Wichita public schools because I have lived the life of so many of our students. And so going to a Southeast high school from um, an Andover, uh, where, which was our suburban district, you know, you're in a school that was around, you know, 900 students to a school that's over 2000. And so that alone can kind of like say, yes, we doubled, I doubled in size. Um, and so, so that's doubling in the opportunities for all the things that high schoolers need and want. Right. Um, but it also Wichita Southeast High School is richly diverse um, and really to where almost a quarter of students roughly, um, I you know, are, are ethnically, um, uh, you know, Asian or Hispanic or, or black or other. And so it really is such a like we, we always say the world walks the halls. And that's such a great opportunity as a leader to really be able to see students together in all those contexts um, and the, our, the future of our world not really as cliquish and and separated and segregated as we would think that they are. Um, and so that was so good for me because I was able to take some practices and things from my suburban district, um, you know, as far as processes and things, but also um, in this larger school, uh, be able to kind of add some, some areas that are, you know, personal and true to me, like um, at our, at our suburban district, um, we had a student group of, of students that were kind of an advisory council um, uh, made up of majority uh, students who did not identify as white. And so to be able to see on the other side in my in my high school um, students who are all leaders that are diverse just on their own, because that's the makeup of the school was fascinating. Um, so unfortunately, my time was cut short there uh, to become the middle school principal here. But it's so great. I'm so blessed because my middle school feeds into that high school. So oh, I yeah. really am working with those future students and I can really talk to them about, I know what your high school experience looks like because I've been there, I've worked no, there. That's great. I didn't um, realize it was a feeder pattern for you. So is, that's awesome. So I am the principal of a lot of brothers and sisters who I was their assistant principal just a few months ago and cousins. It's, it's just, it's so heartwarming. Um, to be able to just talk to them now with the end in mind, because I was there at that high school um, and know the expectation, know the, uh, how rigorous uh, lead those t uh, teachers, instruct those students and really um, work with them. And, and so um, it gives me a little bit of credibility with our middle school is because it's like, yeah, no, I, I know exactly where you're headed. Um, and yeah. that's good as a leader. What's the biggest difference? Because I think this is a really, a, a, you know, you had a, you had a jump from being middle school to high school you know, um, principal, you went from an instructional coach to, uh, you know, administration. What do you see having been at this just for your first month, the biggest difference between being an assistant principal and a head principal? You've got to let some details go. You've got to give some details and processes to uh, your assistants and people around you. Um, yes. And I, am, I, I always consider myself to be a very good at pulling out details and really thinking about, well, what about this or what about that? Um, and even if it comes to my mind right now, because my mind still sort of uh, does that, I have to pass on the ideas to someone else and let them carry out uh, the processes and procedures of getting it done because I now need to think about next year and budgeting and hiring um, or a personnel issue or something like that. And so that's probably the biggest thing is I have to, you got to get in that hel helicopter and take the 50,000 foot view now. Um, and yeah. I can't be as uh, intricately detailed and in the weeds and minutia um, that maybe I was as an assistant because I, I wanted to be that for my principals so that they could lead and be the visionary. Um, but now I have to be the visionary. And so I got to trust that and give that to, to those uh, that I work with that are assistants. Yeah. I always say you got to hire rock stars and then let them be rock stars, right? I love it. I love and it. You were one of my rock stars. So I'm so blessed and fortunate to have you. So uh, I, you. I'm just so proud of, um, you know, what you've accomplished over the past four years and just can't wait to see you grow in the future. I could talk to you forever. I'm going to have to have of you on course. the podcast again, Thank but you. let's, let's kind of wind up here a little bit. And yeah. um, if you were going to give advice, cause you've had this, you know, incredible journey over the past four years, if you were going to get advice to either aspiring leader or maybe somebody who is an assistant who wants to become a head or even um, maybe a head principal who's like, I just, I need to get out of this. You know, what, 
what advice would you throw out there? My advice for an inspiring leader, um, a current leader um, in any context would probably be to develop anyone and anyone everywhere, whenever. Um, and it, it's not like grammatically fantastic. No, but that's think, okay. We- <laughs> but I really think that I always have had leaders that saw something in me um, and would encourage me to take on this thing or that thing. And, and sometimes I was like, oh, are you sure? But I was willing to kind of jump into it. Um, and so then the, on the other side of, of being a principal, uh, being able to, to say to some teachers, hey, are you, are you willing to help me with this project or that? Um, and, and from that teacher piece, you know, if we have teachers, you know, that listen to this to say, oh, my principal sees something in me, I, I, I think I might want to try that um, and trust them to go back to them to where if you if you have some questions or gray areas uh, to be able to have that support there. Um, but I really think that taking the time to develop people um, because you never know. Uh, when you might be in a different seat uh, in the middle of a school year or or you get a cancer diagnosis that says, oh, this needs to look a little different. Um, think about how can I pass on the mantles and not just be this. I want to keep the authority and knowledge with myself so that I look like I know so much, but really to be able to have that shared leadership where others can do what you can do and do it well or even better um, so that uh, students benefit, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, I completely agree with you. So if somebody wanted to get in touch with you, and we're going to put this in the show notes, but you mentioned that you did have a Twitter. How could somebody get a hold of Connie Reddick? Mind you, too, you're now a head principal and you're working on your doctorate. So, you you know, you just got that going on, too. Just a little Um, bit. Just a little bit. But where could somebody, you know, connect with you if they felt like they heard some things of value for them today? Oh, that's cool. They definitely can look me up on Twitter and it is at Connie Reddick. Um, I changed. I had a handle of AP for a little while when I was an assistant principal, but I'm like, let me not even add principal into my right. title. Now you're just, you're just Connie Reddick, yeah, right? Connie Reddick, because we could have superintendent next week. I don't know. So let's just. Yeah, you never know. Title. Like, you're right. It could be, you know, right? <laughs> yeah, at Connie Reddick is my Twitter handle. Um, our middle school is at Curtis USD 259. Um, and so if they want to, you know, see what's, what's happening at our school, that'd be great to, to give them a follow as well. And I'm curious to know, just before we even finish up, you yeah. know, you started with a brand new um, staff and mid-year. How, how does one go about starting with a brand new staff mid-year? Because there could be people that are doing this too right now. Yeah. What is your takeaway? Not a lot of people can say they've started mid-year before. Yeah. I just start with them. I think I think you have to ask the right questions. I had great district leaders who I could ask about the building and, and what do you think the staff needs are? Um, and they could tell me, you know, that um, I came over for a staff meeting and addressed staff, you know, in a large context. Then I talked to each team um, and I, which was absolutely crazy, but it, I think it worked uh, well for me. Did one-on-ones with every single staff member in the yeah. school. I gave yeah. them seven minutes of time, told them it'd be 10. And I said, I want to lock eyes with every individual, even if it's 160 of them to yep. get to know them. And so from there, I had so many different lenses of the school desires of our staff and needs, um, you know, to where I came in with a lot of some, giving them some free food and love because I came up with a holiday break. So we did 12 days of holiday cheer. Um, but also too, when you come with some new initiatives to start this second semester, it yeah. really is things that they've told me. There's nothing where I've come and changed my own. It's like, like it's my regime and I'm doing this. Right. It really was talking with folks at every level um, and us working together to come up and craft a vision to get our school the direction we want it to be. Oh, I love that. That's awesome. And I'm sure, you know, that that'll be good for if anybody is kind of new in this mid-semester, you know, I would encourage you to get in touch with you because, you know, oh. I think we were... We're working together. We're better together than we are alone. And I don't want anybody to ever feel that way. So thank you for sharing this morning and spending some time with me. Again, I think I'm going to have to have you on again, because who knows what we'll say for you next year. (laughs) um, I have a feeling you'll be you'll be parked here for a little bit uh, because I think it's going to be neat to see the fruition and how um, how your middle school comes along at the helm of your leadership. So thank you for all you're doing there. Thank and, you. Uh, I look forward to, to being here. I'm excited. Today, Connie. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right. You take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.